The Black Sea port of Odessa in Ukraine suffered its first attack of this war today. Authorities there accused Russian forces of carrying out a strike on residential buildings on the outskirt of the city early on Monday. For weeks now, the city has been bracing and preparing for Russian forces to try to move in on it. It is the third largest city called the Jewel of the Black Sea, or the Pearl of the Black Sea, rather. Global News Senior Network correspondent Jeff Seppel has spent several days in Odessa before leaving this morning as air raid sirens started to ring out. And he joins me now from neighboring Moldova. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Ben. Great to be with you. Fascinating just to, to get a sense from your stories of the mood in Odessa. I know you've now left, but but clearly a place getting ready for the worst. Yeah, it is. And it's it's strange, you know, Ben, often we go as journalists to places around the world after something terrible has happened, after disaster has struck. But the thing with Odessa is that uh, they are bracing at this particular moment. That uh, historic port city has been left mostly unscarred by the war up till this point. Um, but the front line on the southern side is only about 130 kilometers to the east. Um, you know, I woke up in Odessa this morning to the sound of air raid sirens, could hear explosions in the distance. Um, so the war is very much at their doorstep. It just hasn't arrived yet. And so um, people really are bracing there. Uh, it almost in a weird way, it's sort of like a city that has just been diagnosed with a terminal illness, if you'll forgive the analogy, that's sort of, they, they feel like they are bracing for the worst. They just don't know how much time they have. Um, and so people are, of course, quickly building up their defenses. Um, you know, we were on the beach, uh, you know, Odessa famous for its beaches, uh, but they are being repurposed now. That sand being filled into sandbags, moved into the city to guard some of their main buildings and infrastructure. Um, you know, we are, I met a, a lot of uh, Ukrainian civilians with no, you know, police, military training whatsoever, who are now learning to operate Kalashnikov rifles to kill Russian soldiers if they need to. Um, and so, you know, people at one time building up their defenses as best they can. Um, and, you know, a lot of families are also saying goodbye to each other. We saw some really heart-wrenching scenes on a train platform um, where women and children are saying goodbye to their husbands and fathers. That's because uh, men, Ukrainian men, are required to remain in the country to engage with the war effort. Um, but women and children are allowed to leave, and many of them are. I mean, many, you know, many of them have waited even up till this point to feel like it's not safe to wait any longer. One of the things that I found really interesting in your reporting was certainly a question you asked of Alex uh, Kachev, who was one of the trainers for, for the young, for people sort of trying to learn how to use a Kalashnikov. And you asked them a question, are, is this enough training to be able to fight trained soldiers? And it was, it was, what's motivating, you think, them to take this training and to stay behind to fight? I mean, I know they can't leave, but it must be a terrifying or terrifying um terrifying circumstance to think you might actually have to take this and go out and fight yeah and i mean i think you know he that trainer was was pretty candid when i asked him i mean you know here you are giving a one-day training course and they do these every day now um at a military training center and so they're training ukrainian civilians to operate these weapons uh many of whom have never used a gun before uh, and so I asked, is a one-day training course, you know, in your mind, really sufficient at all to help 
the civilians fight professionally trained Russian soldiers. Um, and he said, you know, it, that basically these guys understand that if this fight happens, this may be their last fight, their first and last fight. Um, you know, I don't think that a lot of these guys really believe that, that they are, you know, in a position to do any significant damage here, but it just speaks to the desperation. I mean, one of the young men who I met who was, who was receiving that training, whose name was Kirill, uh, he's a married father, two young girls, uh, one of whom is just four months old. Um, he says he's been urging his wife to take their daughters out of the country, but she has refused. She doesn't want to leave the country without him. And so in the sense of just pure desperation, he's learning to use a gun so that if it comes to it, he can try and defend his family. And as he talked to me about that, his eyes welled up with tears. Um, and, you know, I just had so many conversations with people in Odessa like that over the past several days where you're talking to them and their eyes well up. I mean, they can be stoic one second and start weeping the next uh, just suddenly. And, and it's just, it is just such a frightening, terrifying moment for them. Um, they are just struggling to keep it together. Uh, and as we've seen, you know, I think through mine and other reporting, they are doing a remarkable job of that. I mean, the spirit of the Ukrainian people, the spirit of Odessa is really something to behold at this moment. In, in, even in, the, in your stories, you could tell people were still sort of going about doing some of their daily stuff a little bit. But at the same time, the enormity of what's hanging over them was obvious as well. How are they surviving right now? Yeah, we had a, I mean, it's, it's, you know, on one hand, the city center is eerily quiet, right, except for the parts of the city, um, including an old, um, or a, not an old, a relatively new food market uh, that has been repurposed to become a humanitarian aid center. So obviously, basically, the entire city, at least the city center is shut down, except for the buildings that are now have now been repurposed to try and collect and distribute aid. Uh, but we went to one um, outdoor market on a Saturday, and you the temperature was nice, relatively speaking. It was a sunny Saturday afternoon. Um, we didn't really know what to expect, but the you know the stalls, you know, selling coffee and um, various cuisine were really full. Uh, were packed, and you know, I, there were people, uh, you know, young men outside playing chess, young families out with their little kids blowing bubbles, um, and there was a jazz club just next to the food market that is closed because of the war. But some jazz musicians then set up on the balcony um, just outside and they performed from the balcony. And so the crowds, you know, dozens and dozens of people gathered around and applauded. And when I spoke to some of them, it was really surreal. It was as if they are just trying to carry on. They're not really sure what to do. Um, they certainly do I obviously appreciate that their days living in peace may be numbered. Um, but, uh, you know, they're also just trying to to make the best of it and enjoy the time that they have. Um, so it's a very surreal thing. And it, you know, it's hard to imagine what they're going through. Um, and I do think you have a sort of a city where that is facing a stark choice. You sort of risk staying or you risk leaving. Uh, and leaving, as we noted, it means, you know, not only leaving your home, but possibly uh, many of your family members behind. And Odessa, for listeners who don't know, Odessa is, is usually a very busy tourist place it's it's a popular spot in ukraine also a very i mean certainly as you've mentioned in your reporting on vladimir putin's war path what is so important about it strategically for russia yeah odessa is nicknamed the pearl of the black sea um i mean it is you know in terms of um 
it, it has a special place in the heart of many Russians. It's Russian speaking. Um, the historical cultural links between Odessa and Russia run very deep, centuries old. Um, so there is real symbolic value. And in fact, a lot of people in Odessa think that perhaps Vladimir Putin might uh, be reluctant to bomb Odessa in the same way that he has other cities because he wants that city as a trophy uh, because its symbolic value is so high. Um, militarily, strategically, if he is able and the Russian military is able to move their way to Odessa and capture that city, they would control the entire coastline. So Ukraine would effectively become a landlocked country. Uh, and that would be important, of course, militarily, but also economically. Uh, Ukraine does the vast majority of its trade through the sea, and most of that sea trade runs through the city of Odessa. So it is Ukraine's third largest city, uh, pre-war population of around a million people. Um, but it is you know, very significant, not only symbolically, but also militarily, economically. It's an important target, uh, but it's one that remains spared, at least so far. I'm speaking with Jeff Semple, Global News' senior network correspondent about his time reporting from Odessa in Ukraine over the past uh, days or so. After this, we'll talk a bit more about the overall thoughts on the ground as to what Western countries are doing. Are they doing enough to help? What more can be done? And as well as Odessa's future, as Jeff mentioned, a city, majority Russian speaking, but a city these days that very much sees itself as part of Ukraine. We'll be back. I'm back with Jeff Semple, Global News' senior network correspondent who's been reporting from Odessa in Ukraine over the past several days. We're talking about his experiences there as well as what's been unfolding in the broader invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Jeff, I was curious to know when, when you talked about being Canadian on the ground, when people asked you where you were from and, and what you were doing, I used to always get these questions when you'd be somewhere under threat. What was their impression of, of, of what the West is doing so far, or at least what Canada is doing, what allies are doing to help? Is it enough? Yeah, it, it was definitely, it was certainly a mixed bag. I think people were appreciative that we were, we were there and, and you know, obviously taking on some risk by being there. Um, but that, you know, on a, on a larger sort of geopolitical level, there were a lot of people who kept saying, you need to close the sky. They want a no-fly zone above Ukraine. Of course, that's something that we have heard many times from Ukrainian leaders, the president, uh, a step that, uh, you know, NATO and um you know, U.S. President Joe Biden very reluctant to take because they're afraid that that could spark World War III. Um, so we heard that a lot from from people. But I do think, you know, the, you know, much has been said about the close ties between Canada and Ukraine. We have the largest in Canada, Ukrainian diaspora um, outside of Ukraine and Russia. Um, and so, you know, a significant population of around a million Ukrainians in Canada. In Canada. And so a lot of people we met um, said they had relatives in, in Canada. Um, so I think, you know, the, the connection is strong. And I do think, you know, I had, I mean, I, I spoke to one doctor who runs a children's hospital, um, who, through tears, told me that, please, please close the sky, please close the sky. And that's because they are terrified that they will be hit like so many other places have uh, with an airstrike. Uh, this particular children's hospital, by the way, um, cares for, you know, sick children, including some who have arrived from the war zone, including, you know, newborns uh, who have managed to get out and are now being cared for there. Uh, and I visited one ward in particular where there were, um, it was in intensive care for newborns. So babies who were born prematurely uh, or were very sick 
And every time they hear the air sirens in this hospital, everybody runs to the basement, but they can't move the sickest babies because they wouldn't survive the journey down to the basement because they're so reliant on the machines on that second floor. Um, and so the doctors and nurses, a team of 10 on that floor, you know, when they hear the air sirens, it means there could be a strike and they stay up on that floor with them, uh, with these babies. Um, and so, you know, just horrible, desperate situations. And so that is why, you know, when they, they ask us to close the sky, I think it's, you know, they understand the, the political ramifications of, of that, but for them, it is that desperate. I was going to say you must have encountered so many situations like that where there's just this a sense of powerlessness a sense of helplessness uh as to what's approaching and and yet those people who are willing to stay behind and do and continue to work even though the threat looms um that must have been that must have been i imagine that must have been incredibly left quite the impression to put it mildly yeah yeah, I think we've all, you know, as, as over the last like three or four weeks sort of wondered what would we do if we were in their shoes? Um, like, would you stay and fight? Would you flee? Um, but I am amazed at, at how many have, have chosen to stay in, and, uh, and fight it out. Uh, and just that sense of responsibility. I mean, doctors and nurses not, not running with their families because they have a sense of responsibility to their patients. Um, and just people who, you know, a lot of Odessans are the joke, I guess, in Odessa is that you can't say you're an Odessan unless you've had your family has been in the city for at least two generations. Uh, and that's because a lot of them have, I mean, they have, you know, their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents in Odessa. I mean, it is their home. And, uh, so they, they don't want to leave and, um, you know, they're willing to, to stay and some of them are willing to stay and fight. You did what, as you were mentioning earlier at the train station, though, and that's something I've seen as well, is, is, is that, and it's almost impossible to describe how heart-wrenching it is to watch families separate on a train platform. It seems so, like it would seem innocuous from the outside if you were just watching it without the sound on, but it's it, to understand just how difficult it is for those families to part because they don't know if they'll see each other again and they don't know if they'll ever come home. Yeah, I mean, the uncertainty of it, as you say, is just horrific. Um, they, that's it. You don't know if you're saying goodbye for the last time or not. And, um, you know, we saw so many of them were lined up uh, waiting for the train to arrive. And, you know, the tears are coming down and they're holding each other closely. Men and, you know, husbands and wives and, and daughters and fathers. And, um, and, and then the train arrives and suddenly there's this scramble to get on. And it struck me, I met one woman named Anna who, um, you know, was, was crying um, quite a bit. And, and then suddenly the train arrived and suddenly she got on the train and there was no, not even a real proper goodbye. Um, and then she gets, sits down on her, at her seat. She manages to get a seat and her husband comes and puts his hand on the window and she's blowing him kisses from the inside. And their eight-year-old daughter is uh, Victoria is sitting next to her. And, um, you know, he walks away from that, you know, we saw, I saw his eyes welling up with tears. And as you noted, he, he doesn't know whether, whether he'll ever see them again. Um, I mean, and these are people in cities that haven't been hit by the war yet. Um, I mean, this thing is, is tearing, tearing families apart and, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. And of course I, I, they're, they're watching the images from Mariupol. They're watching the images from Kharkiv. They know what what destruction could come their way, right? I guess that the fear of that 
must be must be unbearable in many ways. What would you like Canadians to know? I guess as as you you're heading off to to Lviv now, what would you like Canadians to know, our listeners to know about about what's happening on the ground there? What's 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 most important for us to take away at this point? Oh, I mean, there's so much. I guess. Um, I mean, I don't think you know. I, I I have to say, it's it's amazing to see the spirit of the Ukrainian people at this moment. Um, I just constantly blown away by it um and it's everyone right i mean it's it's everyone you meet i mean the fixer who we had there working with us um helping to translate interviews and and you know take us from place to place um he was a guy in his mid-30s who had planned to propose to his longtime girlfriend he was he had eyed a, a date in may uh then the war breaks out he proposes immediately she says yes he takes her to the train station she's in poland now um there are just so many stories like that that it's uh, it's 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 hard to get your head around it. But I think you know a lot of the Ukrainians are they're proud people, and they're used to living in the shadow of of this threat from from Russia. You know, they lived through the Cold War. I mean, the city of Odessa was famous for the siege of Odessa in 1941 and the way they fought back. So these are families that are are no stranger to this kind of threat in a sense, at least to some of them, and uh, and so they're not necessarily asking for for too much i mean they're willing to to sit there and fight but they obviously do need help and so i think you know canadians have obviously been been touched by these images and i think uh, yeah I, I i even if you're not the type of person who normally uh likes to to give to a cause this might be a moment because this is one where um there is so much at stake and uh, and i know i mean i just am constantly impressed by these people if anyone deserves help um it would be the people I've met over the last few days. Jeff Semple, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ben.